Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the official Warlord Games podcast. My name is Brad, and we are going to talk Bolt Action. Now, Bolt Action is one of the games that Warlord Games obviously makes, and it is one of the most popular. Now, we have recently been revisiting a lot of games, uh, games that we haven't covered in a little while, because this podcast largely uh, talks about the, the upcoming, the new hotness from Warlord Games. Uh, but in recent months, we have uh, had a, a series of short, sharp our, you know, episodes um, that revisit a lot of the games that we talked about when the you know over the months when the podcast first started. Uh, and you know, it's always good to touch back with some of these things. Now, I was talking with Paul Sawyer about upcoming episodes, and we have some absolute doozies coming your way. But before we get to that, I think it's important to revisit Warlord's most popular game, or one of the most popular games, and of course, that is Bolt Action. Now, I couldn't go back to Bolt Action without having an excellent guest on to talk about uh, historical theming. Now, I know that there's a large community of competitive play for Bolt Action. That's fantastic. Um, I know a lot of people are into it. I was into it for quite a while. I absolutely understand the appeal. Um, I love a tournament. I love painting armies for an event. Uh, but tonight, we aren't necessarily going to talk about, you know, the meta. We're not necessarily going to be tackling the, the, the spiciest builds to make our, you know, raffle stomp our opponents. Nothing like that. Tonight, we are going to talk about how we can make fun, you know, possibly competitive bolt action armies that might fit a, a historical theme. For me, I'm a, I'm a hobbyist. I enjoy the, the process of painting, converting armies, uh, and I know my guest today also likes to do that. And so today we are going to approach how we tackle our projects. Now, in the past, I have been the host of this show, and I have asked my guests questions, and they've answered, and it's been more of a question-answer interview format. Tonight it will be a little bit different. Um, I, our guest tonight is an old friend um, of both this podcast and many others that I've been on uh, when talking about bolt action. And so it's just going to be two friends talking about inspiration, hobby, and how to tackle uh, a bolt action army. It can be a daunting task. It may be hard to know where to start. And so tonight we are going to talk exactly that. Now, if you've enjoyed uh, quite a few projects that Warlord's put out, he had his fingers in the Australian list that came out, uh, is both the PDF and in the New Guinea book. And of course, he's the overall author of the, uh, the Battle for Budapest book. He's one of the greats of the Bolt Action Pantheon. Of course, I'm talking Brian Cook. Welcome back to the Warlord cast, man. How you doing? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Thanks for having us on. Sorry, I, I meant to introduce the episode, and that took a little bit longer. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying painting in the background. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. Uh, just dry brushing some bases as we uh, as needed. As you do, as you do. Now, uh, right now, you are in the middle of literally finishing a bolt action army. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about what you're working on right now? Yeah, um, I'm actually working on a free French force, which is. Uh, like a late war French army, um, not your typical French force you think of mm -hmm. when you think of um, bolt action. It's actually taken from the Battle of the Bulge book, nice. um, campaign book. So in the back of that, there's a, a late war French army list, really sort of really interesting units. Yeah, it's um, great, right? Yeah. It because yeah. it uses a lot of the gear that you would associate with uh, the American army list, and so part of the list is very familiar. Uh, and evocative of mid to late war American armies. And yet the units that you put in, the infantry units you put in to support that are very different and have some really interesting special rules. So you can take and you know, the vehicles uh, that you might have in a box that you bought for an American army or, you know, some vehicles that you know and love, like the half tracks or the Chaffee or the priest. And you can say, yeah, you know what? I'm going to use this for something else. Um, and come up with something that looks totally different on the tabletop. Yeah, exactly. Uh, if you like, at first glance, some people might, you know, look at the force and think it's an American force, but you know, within a um, you know short period of time, they'll notice there's lots of really um, interesting quirks visually with the uniforms and the the troops, and um, even some of the vehicles are pretty, 
like second line or older US gear that had been given to the French um, in the later war. So nice. they've got like um, the M3 white scout cars, a lot of those. And um, yeah, the, the, the troops is especially look very exotic because they're mostly drawn from France's Army of Africa mm-hmm. um, before that. So there were, there's a lot of colonial troops and you know, interesting headgear and flourishes that are like mixed with US gear. Like there's a bit of a hodgepodge of stuff going on. Yeah. Um, and they're not just a US force in rules either. They actually play really differently. Yeah. Um, have a lot of different special rules and they're pretty much yeah, almost completely different to a US force other than the vehicles. Yeah, they are very cool. And what I like about that, the army that you've put together, um, and you've even said it in describing the force, you've actually pulled bits and pieces from a ton of different kits to make these. Um, but you based most of the infantry models on Warlord's newest American GI models, but then you've added different heads, you've swapped out some weapons, and you've added different bits and pieces, pouches, bags, and things like that, to make it look completely different, Um, which is just ingenious, because it really does give the army not only a different rules flavor, but a different visual flavor as well. Yeah, exactly. That that US kit's really beautiful. That plastic um, infantry set. Um, it's it's. I mean, I like really chunky sculpts when I'm painting. Um, it helps with the you know the washes and highlighting and stuff to mm-hmm. to have that that strong detail. So that's a great kit. Um, and then yeah, literally because the heads are separate, I can um, sprinkle a few French heads in. Um, Warlord makes a few metal sprues mm-hmm. with French helmets and tank crew. Um, you can buy like sometimes their, their headgear sprinkled in because I've got some motorized troops in there and like mm-hmm. the leather leather caps and a lot of the French troops to sort of keep their identity in that late war period. They held on to their really old school French hel- um, helmets and headgear mm-hmm. um, to sort of help, you know make sure people knew that they were Frenchmen that were fighting and they weren't just U.S. troops. So nice. that works. Nice. Now we are going to talk about um, I guess. W- w- Generally, we're going to talk about how we come up with the ideas for armies, how to build a themed, uh, possibly historical, but a themed force for bolt action, um, and how we approach it. And I know we approach it similarly, but differently at the same time. Um, do you want to start by maybe talking about that army, or do you want to talk about maybe a different project? Where do you start, or does do you just sort of go where whimsy takes you? Uh, talk us through, because I know when I first started Bolt Action, um, I immediately went, I had, this all looks awesome. I have no idea what to do. Um, and I walked into my nearest shop, and the nearest Bolt Action kit to me was the first uh, plastic German kit that uh, Warlord put out. And I went, I've seen enough World War II movies to know that these guys are gray. I can paint these. I'm doing this. And so that's how I started with Germans. And then since then, I've gone through tons of armies. But when I was doing my Germans, I just said, oh, they're they're Germans. And then as I started to play the game, I realized how different gear was and how different era troops used different equipment. There were different vehicles. There were different weapons. Um, And I realized very quickly that the force that I built and was playing with was a hodgepodge of things from all over the place and not historically accurate whatsoever. It didn't fit anything. Um, And then so my second army was very historically themed. And I actually, um, you know, read about a battle and started figuring out those forces. Um, But pretty much how I attacked every army ended up being a little different. Has your experience been the same or do you have a method? Because you are an incredible hobbyist and I know you love your history. Um, yeah, well, thanks. Um, I do really love making themed armies. I pretty much only exclusively do that. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a bit... Um, I'm sorry, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to say it's a bad way to do it, but I'm just not really interested in looking at an army list um, without any sort of a historical lens and just right. picking the best units and making a sort of um, optimized force full of stuff from across the entire war, or just what it, with whatever's best in terms of mm. stat lines or whatever. So what I love is telling a story in miniature. So I often get hooked on um, reading about a particular unit uh, or a battle and then that'll get me interested and then uh, especially if something's visually interesting too, like if they've got really different uniforms or 
um, an interesting history behind a unit that grabbed me, that grabs me. Mm-hmm. And my method and the one I would ha- happily pass on to people who are new because uh, World War II is a massive topic. It's just enormous. It's so much it to, to try and digest. If you're, if you're coming to Bolt Action as a new player, the, one of the easiest ways to start creating a themed force without being overwhelmed is to understand that Bolt Action and the way the army lists are structured are really open and free. You can pretty much choose, pick and choose you know, whichever units you want to create your force mm-hmm. um, from a variety of, uh, in reality, there are a variety of different, completely different units and different errors. But um, so that freedom is great. But if you really want to help yourself um, create a themed force, if that's what you're interested in, um, what I usually start with is one troop type. So have a look at your army list. Um, look, at, look at all the infantry squads. That's where you start mm-hmm. um, because the headquarters and the supporting units like mortars and machine guns and any tank guns and snipers and everything, they're all sort of, you know, to lack of a better term, they're kind of generic. So they're not specifically tied to a troop type. A sniper for a Russian naval brigade unit is the same sniper as for a Siberian infantry unit or a Japanese sniper or, you know, whatever. True. So the best thing to do, I find, is pick an infantry squad or unit type that you really are interested in the look of or the, the history behind and delve deeper into who they were. Like, um, for, for example, uh, let's look at, yeah, like the Russian army list. Mm-hmm. There are a massive amount of infantry choices there. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of them that sticks out straight away, which you and I really love is the Naval Brigade, which I oh, sort yeah. of mentioned before. So who were those guys? You know, maybe go and check out Wikipedia first then start delving into other sources, I guess. You know, um, and you'll find with most of these troop types, they were an actual unit, like a bigger unit. They weren't just squads that were sort of sprinkled amongst generic Russian, not, not generic, but like regular Russian forces didn't right. feature naval, naval brigade squads attached to them, which often happens in bolt action games. You'll yes. find someone rocks up with a platoon and they'll have a rainbow of different units from across, uh, you know, the list. So mm-hmm. if you if you kind of are really hooked by one particular squad, research it, find out who the, who they were, what units um, they formed, and then that will help you understand how to build an army around representing that. So the Naval Brigade for the Russians, they were their own you know, divisions worth of troops. They weren't mixed in. So you'll need to then work out what supporting units they had. Do they have tanks with them? Did they have um, you know, all the other heavy weapons that were normally associated with infantry? Or did they have some quirky stuff like they were amphibiously landed a lot of the time. So mm-hmm. off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure they had those um, duck transports, those American Lend-Lease amphibious mm-hmm. um, vehicles. They had a lot of those. So that's something that's really interesting that you wouldn't see in a normal Russian army. Right. You know, these, these amphibious American transports from their Lend-Lease program. So there's something off the top of my head you could start featuring in the force mm-hmm. that then helps that theme straight away. Um, so often, yeah, these... Start with the basic building block infantry squad, research it, find out who that or what that unit is. Then you'll find in your in your research um, that there'll be these really cool quirky things that only they had or were specifically yeah, for that type of formation, and that will help build up um, a really um, like focused themed force. Absolutely. And um, yeah, you could, you've like I said, you've got like all these generic supporting options like your machine guns and mortars which almost every World War II infantry formation had at its disposal. So exactly. you can you can go and find the models for that. And if the models don't exist, try and convert them. Um, and that brings your force together even more when you do a visual um, tie-in like that. So exactly. rules, yeah, rules-wise, they're not any different to any other machine gun team, but um, it pull, pulls it together visually and tells people exactly what they're facing. Mm-hmm. That's my that's my method is to pick an infantry squad usually because yeah I can only I can only think of a handful of infantry squads across the army list that would have ever been attached by themselves yeah um, exactly. to other units so maybe like the SAS or commandos or um, maybe assault pioneers like a few of these really elite assaulty type units got attached to a normal infantry squad to help it with a specific mission but um, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, no, build that theme, right? And and pick, yeah. as you say, most formations were uh, the same unit. So to have an army that sort of matches that uh, visually is very striking. And when you're talking about the Soviet Naval Brigade, I mean, they wear dark blue slash black uniforms. So to have that on the tabletop in a in a in a game of like bolt action where you often see a lot of khaki and green, uh, to see a black force on the tabletop is visually striking and really sets it apart. Um, I was thinking while you were talking about that, I actually go uh, uh, quite a few of the armies that I've built have been. I haven't chosen an infantry squad per se, although I have done that with my Soviet Naval Brigade because I thought they looked too cool in black. Um, I actually chose a vehicle. And so for me, for example, uh, I saw that Warlord came out with in its you know weekly newsletter um, years ago, I saw the Earth's Panther. And I said, I don't know what that is, uh, but I love the look of it. It's ridiculous. Um, you know, what is that thing? I, I don't recognize that. And I did a little research into it and discovered, um, you know, in the Battle of the Bulge, uh, Otto Scorsese's forces were uh, dressed as Americans and trying to infiltrate. And this was well before that army list existed in bolt action. And I turned uh, my existing American Battle of the Bulge Army, painted a few extra squads, and all of a sudden that force became uh, a German force for the very same conflict. And Yeah, uh, that, that's a great example. Yeah. That's a really good example of a... Of a, of a really specific force. Like, I would, I would even change the word theme to how to build a specific bolt action force and that, because yeah. that is like something that existed and you can represent on the tabletop, which is one of the joys of historical gaming is you can actually recreate something that was real. Definitely. In a, in a time and place like that. I think it's, I can't remember the name of that unit. I think it's Panzer Brigade 150 or something, isn't it? Uh, but, yeah, it is. 150. Nice. Yeah. So, so those guys, I mean, that, that's a great entry point too. Yeah, the campaign books, um, because that list now exists and you can go mm -hmm. and read up and a lot of the legwork in the research is already done for you. So you can um, have a really structured guide to how to field that in the game. So mm -hmm. that specific force exists in the Bulge book, like you said. And I say a lot, most of the campaign books feature some some really interesting themes or a specific force lists, which are awesome for building off because you know they've they've been researched. Mm -hmm. I um I traveled through Japan one summer, uh, which I did for many years. But I was staying in a hostel, and there was a book uh, in the hostel that you could borrow and read about Battle of the Bulge, and so I sat down and read that novel or it wasn't a novel so much as a uh, retelling of a lot of the events of the battle and i was reading that um through a lot of my trip and it was fantastic and i i really i, I you know it wasn't the most interesting read but it was it, it ties my memory to that wonderful summer um but because of that i have a very you know I've, I've an inclination towards the battle of the bulge so i made an american battle of the bulge army very early in the piece when the game came out but then to discover that i could add more to it um and then of course when the battle of the bulge source book came out i was even more excited because then i got more rules more missions um, more specific units and more models that were tied to the conflict that i was particularly uh, you know, and I don't know how to say it in love with, but you know, that I quite enjoyed. Um, now I know a lot of people have watched Band of Brothers, and so, um, if you've come into bolt action from that, you may love, you know, D Day, uh, and the, the, the fighting that happened around that. Uh, you might also like, again, the Battle of the Bulge, Bastogne, uh, and then, you know, up through, you know, fighting through the Rhine. There's just, depending on how you come at it, there are different, um, you know, find something that you love and that interests you and then see if you can build a force around it uh, is often how I come at it. Um, but yeah, sometimes it's literally not only, I know that you've looked at units in the army list and said, yeah, that's cool. What does a force like that look like? And then gone back and done the research. Sometimes for me, I'll look at Instagram or Facebook groups of historical photos or websites of, you know, World War II photos and I'll just end up scrolling through them. And occasionally you can just find a picture and it'll catch your eye and you'll go, I have no idea what's happening in this photo. 
tell me more. Um, and then that will lead me into Wikipedia pages, which will then lead me to finding, you know, magazines, books, uh, you know, different online resources about the same uh, conflicts or units. And quite a few of my armies have literally come from one picture, be it in a book or on a website. And I've gone, that is visually amazing. I want to put that on the tabletop. So I saw a picture of the uh, Indian carrier, the, uh, the, the, uh, the India pattern carrier for the British Army, and I fell in love with it, and that led to me making an entire uh, Indian-British desert force, uh, only because I liked the look of that one vehicle, and I saw it, a, picture, a black and white picture of it coming over a sand dune and said, that looks sensational. And so for me, that you know, ties in. Um, now, Brian, once you've sort of come up with that, how do you, I know I'm talking about looking at books and websites. Um, do you approach your research similarly to that or do you, and how does that shape your actually, your actual army list composition? I know you talked a little bit about how in bolt action platoons can have a sniper or a machine gun and a mortar. And those tend to be fairly universal across most World War II formations. But do you get any more specific when you're trying to create a themed force? Yeah, wherever I can. So although like, what I'm trying to do is yeah, I'm trying to give a sense of a of like the character or the sort of flavor of a specific force. Mm -hmm. Um um even if that's you know, in you know, of, of a platoon type that isn't super exotic. Like if you're just talking, let's talk late war Germans. Um, so late war Germans isn't a theme. That's the time period. And right. there's an absolute, you know, ton of different types of units you could try and represent. Mm -hmm. um, in my collection, in my figure cabinet, I've got two um, late war German armies that I can field out of the miniatures are painted very different to each other. Um, one is what I would term like a, a typical grenadier platoon. So one of the most common infantry types that the allies would have come up against would mm -hmm. be the Wehrmacht grenadiers, which are like the basic, you know, German army equivalent. Um, and those guys have, um, you know, what I did is I researched, so how was their platoon organized? Mm -hmm. Um, how many men did they have? What, what sort of support weapons were common? So, for instance, they've got a you know their HQ, and they had three sections of um, up to ten men. But obviously, that stage in the war, they would have taken a lot of casualties. So sometimes I don't field them at maximum strength. Yeah. So I kind of limit myself to only having three infantry units, which is kind of a bit of a ham hamstring. But they had manpower issues. So that kind of helps me give the theme. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'll back them up with yeah, like the, they're really common: the, the machine gun, the mortar, the sniper, um, and then. Beyond the, the sort of platoon that you're presenting, I looked into, say, what were the most common supporting heavier units that they could rely on. And yeah. they didn't have, you know, a lot of panzers helping them out. They were, mo they were mostly, you know, foot sloggers. So they would rely on the Sturmgeschütz, the Stug. Mm -hmm. that, was their, that was their artillery that was dedicated to rolling with them to support them. So I've got a Stug. Um, you know, there's a truck. You know, sort of some really basic stuff like a, a Kubelwagen for their recon with a machine gun on it. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one particular type of force I've got. Um, and there's a lot of restrictions on that. So, you know, I haven't gone, you know, tons of assault rifles either. I've gone mostly riflemen with their MG42 in each squad. Mm -hmm. um, I do have one squad with assault rifles because towards the very end of the war, they had a platoon structure which had one assault squad with the STG-44 and then two supporting squads with the rifles and the MG-42. So that was that was quite common, but not the whole force with assault rifles. Yeah. Um, so I put I basically what I'm, my point is I'm, I put restrictions on what I'm creating in the list. Um, I actually really enjoy having restrictions too because it makes me work more with what I've got and it's more yes. satisfying when you do pull off a victory because you know you've stuck to something some self self-imposed restrictions, but yeah. it's pretty satisfying. Um, Agreed. So those, yeah, those grenadiers are one type of, you know, late war German force I've got. And then I've also got a, a Panzer reconnaissance force, which, um, which is so uh, cool. Yeah. I mean, my, one of my favorite, one of my favorite forces, cause it is so, 
um, quick and and fun to, to like maneuver around the battlefield. They take a lot of skill to use. They're very fragile, so if you don't play well, they'll crumble. Mm-hmm. But um, but that force uses the same infantry models um, from that Grenadier Army, so the you know the late war German infantry models. But I've got them in really tiny squads of five men, and they each squad rolls in its own half track. Uh, the two fifty, um, the half sized one, I think it's a yeah. slash ten. Yes. Yeah. So that whole that whole force is like you know twenty three infantry models like it's nothing but it's got um five half tracks and mm-hmm. two armored cars so that's a really specific force too because that's a panzer reconnaissance um infantry platoon so it only uses vehicles they had and because of the point system and how much things cost you've got a very small army you know like four squads of five men and a hq plus the half tracks and a few various other things so that's creates its own challenges too because you've got a lot of restrictions around that everyone has to be in a half track or be transported in some way yeah yeah so that's that's like those restrictions are one way you can you can help the the specific theme you know yeah i um i fell in love with and i guess i'm going to talk about black uniforms again uh the u.s marine raiders which was one of the first u.s special forces organizations that existed um, in World War II, and they raided Macon Island, and in the process, uh, they dyed their uniforms black, and it was, you know, it was one of the first uh, stabs back at the Japanese, um, who had been, you know, at that point, rolling through the Pacific, uh, you know, unbeaten, and so, um, you know, it was really important that, you know, so there's a submarine insertion for these guys, and they went in, and uh, they attacked the Macon Atoll, uh, but for me, I really loved the reading about the mission, uh, even though it wasn't terribly successful, um, reading about you know the gear that was different, but the specific weapons and the gear that those guys got. And so for me, when I was building that army, um, Warlord makes an amazing range of marine models with all sorts of weapons. And so I was able to pull out the gear and the clothes um, that the Marines wore in that conflict with very little converting, I was able to make an entire army that matched, um, which was spectacular. But then adding to that, um, the formation that was actually in that, that conflict, um, was one of the first times Marines used fire teams. And so you have, um, squads being broken into three man groups. So you have one guy with a submachine gun, one guy with a rifle and one guy with a bar, um, per three men. And so for me, I mean, you can easily look at the late war Marine list and say, cool, I've got six guys, three with submachine guns, three with bars. Look at me go. I'm unstoppable. And then I can give some pistols to the bar guys and I can be, you know, extra shooty and assaulty. But for me, that doesn't match the history. And so when I built the army, I built it in three man teams. And depending on the point level that I'm playing at, I can either run six-man teams, nine-man teams, um, or even using out of the, um, the one of the Pacific source books, uh, I can actually run three-man teams if I really wanted to get wild. But just to have that, which is the Empire and Flames book, if you're wondering, um, the Marine Raiders do allow you to you know, put, have any size squad, um, but I chose to specifically stick to the three-man groupings um, and those weapon, you know, outloads per three men. So, you know, for every six men, I have two SMGs and two bars. And that's my challenge is to try and make those Marine fire teams work on the tabletop. But because it was a submarine insertion, there's no vehicles. Um, and yet they did, they were able to call um, a rocket strike from the submarine. So I included an observer to call in an artillery observer to call in a rocket strike. So I thought that was a fun-themed force um, that I was able to do some research with and come up with a visual theme. And yeah, it was just a lot of fun. Um, And it took a little bit of work to figure out which models and which weapons went where, but that research made it feel special to me. It took that extra effort, um, made me love that army more. Do you have the same experience? Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's a really good example, actually. I mean, the the cool thing about that example, too, is it's a small-scale action that's really good for bolt action. Mm-hmm. So you can actually read into, you know, who was in, like, they probably have a really detailed 
um, you know, force list for who historically was on that submarine and yes. got inserted into that mission. So you can almost represent that man for man. That's a cool example um, on for a bolt action force because, you know, they're, they're not, you know, you're not representing just a specific type of force. You're, you're also representing an actual one-off force that was part of a one-off mission. Like, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, I, I find, yeah, like, same with that Autodice thing, that was one thing that sparked in a, um, a little point I've got too is, say, with that um, late war, uh, the, the German Grenadier platoon mm. I've got, um, although they had, you know, a HQ and three three sections was their platoon structure, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean you only have four, four order dice. What I can do, because most World War Two infantry squads would, were splitting themselves up into te- fire teams, like you That's just mentioned. Right. Um, so with these Germans, I could take them as their full 10 man and then split them um, and actually run them as, you know, six five man squads and get more order dice, obviously mm-hmm. more fragile, but um, if I'm only taking the model weapons, that would be across one squad, but splitting it into two order dice. So there's five men with rifles in one and four men in a machine gun in the other um, and not taking, you know, six light machine guns. Yeah. Um, it's actually still accurate and, and it's just representing the squads splitting themselves on the battlefield into two maneuver groups. So you're upping your order dice, you're playing a different style. It's actually a bit more restrictive because you're not a survivable. Right. Um, but you can work within these themes. Like if you read up on the unit you're interested in and you find out what they had and how they were organized you can be a little bit creative with the order dice and split split you know squads up and things like that to sort of bring it in and have a bit of a play with how you like the force to work in the game because it's still a game yeah you still want to have fun exactly you don't have to you don't you don't have to stick to exactly oh they always had 10 men in every squad i mean there was always casualties there's you know, you don't have to be that strict, I think. I think that's a – you can do that too if you want. Um, you know, you want to represent, you know, a U.S. infantry platoon straight off the landing boats on D-Day plus one. They're coming ashore. Obviously, you haven't taken any casualties. You know, that's fine. That could be a theme too. Yeah. But if, I mean, any – what's the old adage? No uh, no plan survives contact with the enemy. And uh, if your troops have been in the field for a while – uh, people will have gone out and new recruits will have come in. And so it gives you an opportunity to mix up things a little bit as well, especially if you're playing a campaign. If you want to work that into your narrative, I think that's, you know, an absolutely fantastic idea. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so yeah, I, can, I can recommend themed forces. I think they're really enjoyable. I think they actually create a narrative on the tabletop too because you know what your force is about and why, it's, why it existed and what it did. And if you can find a friend um, uh, who's collecting or is interested in collecting a themed force that is kind of linked to yours, that's mm-hmm. the, ulti- the ultimate. Um, because, yeah, if you're both excited about a similar campaign uh, or time period and you can look at forces that, that did clash mm-hmm. and you both collect them, then when you set your table up and put the armies down, you've already won. Like it, yeah. It's really cool because the context is there, the narrative creates itself as you go. Um, they're usually quite interestingly matched too if they're from the same time period yeah. and did fight against each other historically. So, um, yeah, that that's a really good way to do it too if you've got a friend and you're both getting into it. Is pick a similar theatre if you can and then drill down and if you can spend the time doing a bit of research, you might actually be able to create two really linked themed armies that had a close relationship in history where they were fighting each other. Absolutely. And sometimes uh, bolt action, there are events. Don't They sometimes are tournaments. Sometimes they're just themed event days um, and where that you might be encouraged to bring forces. I know I've played in uh, Operation Bagration event uh, and I was able to bring a themed Russian force that absolutely matched that. But everyone else on the day brought those as well. And it just it, it made for really enjoyable games to know. And, you know, balance wise, it worked really well, too, because no one's trying to play an early war army versus a late war army. It was everyone's, you know, sort of playing from the same deck, so to speak. Um, yep. So it, it made for really fun, balanced, visually exciting games. It was it was fantastic. And I know you do a lot of that. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think um, I love the Desert War. That's a really great theater to mm-hmm. collect because there are a huge variety of forces um, that were 
in the theater from um, like multiple nations, um, various quality levels, various exotic looks and various vehicles. Like mm. it's a, just a really good variety. And um, that, that at, at any point, I think most of those different unit types would have taken on each other at some point. So you could easily collect anything from the desert wharf, you know, years from either side and it'll be accurate to face almost any other force yeah. that a friend or, a, or someone from your club collects. So that's a great one. Um, people love Normandy, obviously. Like the, mm -hmm. That's probably the most um, well-known campaign and the most popular for gaming. I mean, that's also got a huge amount of forces to choose from. Oh, yeah. Um, so that I can see why that's popular. And I think if you take the time to pick a specific, not only a nation and then a unit type, but drill down a bit further and really look at what you want to collect. So if you were, say, wanting to collect US forces and, you know, you normally would start with your generic infantry squads and then maybe put a ranger squad in and a and an engineer squad and, like, you know, you know all the different tools from the toolbox, maybe mm -hmm. stop yourself and look and go, well, maybe I should just collect a ranger platoon. Well, what did rangers have and who backed yeah. them up? Who do they fight alongside? Because rangers are really, really cool, like, troops but they're like they're light infantry you know they didn't have all the guns that the generic you know not generic but their gis had or mm -hmm. they might not have had the, the tank support i don't know i haven't really read into rangers too much but i doubt they would have had the same tank support or um heavy weapons as some of the other formations so maybe there's some restrictions you can pull in on yourself but you've also got a ranger force which is darting forward in the first mm -hmm. turn and you know grabbing ground and you know a bit tricky that way like so it has its own great advantages so definitely that's what that, that's what i would recommend like just just stopping for a second before you write up a list with every good unit in it and <laughs> and just delving down into one of them and just seeing if it's something that you're excited about and then pushing it yeah exactly now we've been speaking largely to newer players at this point but uh, mm. i did want to touch on uh, if we are going to talk about, let's say you have a couple of bolt action armies, like I did, I, I, you know, I bought Germans, I sort of had the hodgepodge German soup, not realizing what I was doing when I started. Um, but then I, I kind of wanted to dig in and do something a little different. Um, you know, we've been talking about how looking at pictures, reading about history, um, you know, finding out about particular conflicts or unit types that interest you as, a, as you theme. Um, but really... Finding a way, I, you know, if you play in a, enough bolt action events or you go to enough games, you will see a lot of German armies that look very similar. And you might see a lot of American armies that end up looking kind of similar. And, you know, that's great. You know, um, there's a lot of some of the best painted armies are often the the ones that are the most iconic because that are the, those are the ones that people spend the most time on. But it can be an interesting challenge, um, like the Soviet naval troops or the Marine Raiders, to find something that is visually different, something that looks a little different. Um, and that can be part of the challenge as well. Um, I know, for example, I was flipping through photos of Japanese infantry. I had a Japanese army. Um, it looked like your standard out-of-the-jungle Japanese army. Brian, you've played it. Um, and you beat me badly, but um, yeah. In fact, we played a uh, Japanese versus Australian battle in the jungle, and the Australians won. Uh, but I, I was looking at pictures for a little things I could add to that army to give it a little visual tweak. Like, how could I make this more interesting? What can I do with this? And in the process, I found a picture of a squatting Japanese POW wearing a great coat, and and he was, you know, basically it, the picture looked cold. And I went, where was that? You know, who, that, that is not what you think of with the Pacific War. And I discovered that it was a Japanese POW in Manchuria or uh, in mainland China, I believe, actually. Um, and I discovered, and that led me to do a massive deep dive into Japanese forces in China and in Manchuria. And I, in, because of that, it led me down this weird visual rabbit hole and I went from warlord kit to warlord kit to warlord kit until I found just the right gray coat that I wanted. So I ended up buying quite a few boxes of Soviet winter troops um, and then Japanese plastic troops 
um, both from Warlord, and then I kitbashed them, and I used the bodies from the great coats, but then I'd cut off their big muddy boots and I replaced them with the gaiters and uh, sorry, the putis and the very traditional Japanese boots uh, with, you know, so that matched. Um, then I also put Japanese Arasaka rifles in the, in the model's hands. I cut off a lot of the mittens and I replaced them with the hands. And of course, all the heads were the Japanese helmeted and capped heads. Um, and as you said, Warlord makes some great metal bits, uh, heads that match as well. So I was able to really make um, a visually different Japanese force. And it ended up being a very regular force because a lot of the troops that were there were second line at best. Um, so I added, you know, Kempatai political officer, a lot of basic, basic troops, didn't have all the bells and whistles, didn't have all the great gear. They were basically a lot of riflemen. Um, and then, but I used that to help drive and create my force. And I put, you know, some light tankettes, uh, and the things that they had in that, in that field. But when I put that on the tabletop, it is one of the armies that people, when I pull out, you know, passerbys will be like, what is, who is that? And you say, they're Japanese. And they go, that doesn't look like the Japanese, but it does. Um, and I've done more research for that army than any other, but it was just one picture of a guy in a coat got me to build that army. And every single model is made out of, you know, pieces from at least two, sometimes three kits, because I was pulling some rifles because I needed a few extras. Um, from other spare Warlord kits, I was taking arms from American and German models um, because I needed riflemen arms and then putting Arasakas in their hands, even though it was a Soviet body. And it just led to a really cool force that looks like no other. It's a one of a kind. And if you can get in there and do something like that, it's a really rewarding project and process as well. Um, Brian, I know you've done, like your free French, just to bring it back around to the beginning, I know that yours is a completely original-looking force as well, and that's, that's such a rewarding process when you get to the end, and you can look at that and say, no one, no one else's bolt-action army looks like this. Yeah, and also you, you've, like, you've brought to life a piece of history that, you know, you haven't seen around on the tabletops before. And yeah. as people stop and ask what that is, they'll learn something. Mm. They'll, they'll be their, their view of the typical, what they would see as the Japanese army in world war two will be a little bit challenged. They're used to them, you know, being in the jungle. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you make them aware of this whole other part of the war. They haven't heard of before. They might go check it out and, you know, you learn something and it's also just, great because it brings in other nations into the gaming the chinese mm -hmm. um things like that so that whole theater gets opened up and you went to the effort to recreate that and it looks stunning like it looks awesome all the great all the great coats and the city the city bases the mm -hmm. urban bases for the fighting and it's just it's really cool yeah um one thing i like i'm looking at my tape my table in front of me now and i've got I've got your typical American M10 um, tank destroyer. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so it's it's green, it's a US vehicle, but um, because it's a free French vehicle, it's got all these crazy, um, beautiful, bright, brightly colored insignia all over it, the French insignia. Um, and in nice. the crew, I've just for the crew, I've converted up um, the men who, who crewed some of these tank destroyers came from um, French. Um, colonial sort of marine infantry who were mm -hmm. like naval coastal gunners or something. So they had like sailors caps on nice. um, with, with this cool pom-pom on top. So um, I've actually got, I've used US Marine plastics for the crew, mm -hmm. um, take cut rifles out of their hands and put a tank shell in there. And then for the head, I've used the desert rats off the desert rats brew the, the, the Highlander heads, the Scottish mm -hmm. heads. Yeah. Yeah. They've got, they've got pretty much the same hat as these French Marines had. Brilliant. But, but I'll just be painting them a different color. So like a red pom-pom on top and they're dark blue with a white stripe around it. So you can kit bash stuff. If you look at, like you say, visual research is really important for inspiration and reference. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you start a folder on your computer and start collecting reference into it, you'll suddenly start seeing places where you can get the parts for things from. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm only looking at, um, 
you know, converting a handful of these French Marine gunners for some tank crew. So I only had to buy one sprue to get those heads. And Warlord, you know, they do sprue sales every now and again. So oh, yeah, they do. If you keep your eye out for that, that's a great way to get some bits, um, the plastic sprues. So I've now got a tank which, you know, normally would be look very American, quite generic. And now it's got these, suddenly it's got these guys with these sailor hats on the top and French flags all over it. And, you know, like you say, someone might stop and go, what's that? Mm-hmm. So um, they'll learn something and it's just something cool and fun. And, um, yeah, it's your own. You're making it your own force too. So yeah. no, not many other people will have it. Absolutely. Now, Brian, you mentioned the campaign books earlier. Um, as the author of one and having contributed to several, um, you want to tell us, uh, give us a little bit of hype on those on the way out the door, because I think our time is kind of wrapping up, sadly. Yeah, um, I, I would like recommend checking out um, uh, a few of these campaign books, because mm-hmm. I know uh, myself and the other authors have put a lot of effort into creating um, some forces that played very differently to their um, host nation, if yeah. there's another way to call it. <laughs> yeah. um, so, for instance, uh, I know in Fortress Budapest, um, the Russian list in that um, uh, play completely differently to what you'd think a Russian list normally does. They feature sort of fast-moving reconnaissance and armoured forces um, or street-fighting forces, which have a lot of a, um, they have a really specific way of playing, and if you feel like something different, they're great. Same with the Hungarian and German lists in that book. Um, the Western Desert book, it's great. That's full of uh, really nice. interesting forces, actually, because that was such an eclectic theater anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, the I love, One of my favorite forces I play is the French Foreign Legion from from the Desert War in mm-hmm. uh, 1942. And there's a list in there for them. Um, there's you know, your Indian pattern carrier mm-hmm. you know, troops as well. Um, so the... These two books, um, Battle, Battle of the Bulge, has some great lists and it really, really well-researched and characterful lists written by Mark, mm-hmm. Mark Barber. I um, love that book. That's what I'm working on with the Free French now. I find myself mainly working on forces from campaign books. Um, yes. The, the, the New Guinea book, again by Mark, has a really cool um, Japanese island defense list in it full of you know entrenched Japanese. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of Australian lists in there, um, not just a generic Australian list, but some specific ones, um, like a Matilda tank platoon with infantry support, um, which are just, they just sort of, they do things differently to the way you normally have mm-hmm. the reinforced platoon structure in bolt action or the armored, the tank platoon structure. They sort of play with those structures a bit to make something that's a bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I would thoroughly recommend checking out any campaign book that you are interested in because they usually contain some great, um, themed or specific lists um, at the back, not just new units, but, you know, they're actually new army lists and some of them have special rules. It's really worth checking out because they give you a different play experience as well as giving you the sort of shopping list of units you can start playing with um, and looking for to track down and paint. Yeah. And it's a great way to, if you've played bolt action for a while and you've been largely playing out of the armies of books um, and you're looking for something a little different, uh, I mean, of course, you can just jump to a new nation because new national rules and new units absolutely mix things up. But if you want to get a little out there, uh, you know, getting deep diving into the campaign books is a great way of doing that. Because as Brian said, there are just so many new and interesting units and new and interesting uh, lists that you can use to build forces that give you, as, as Brian said, literally new play experiences, which, you know, is what, you know, a lot of us are always out looking out for something cool and new, uh, something to keep you inspired and to keep doing that, you know, those fun projects that, you know, no one else has seen before. That's a good way to go about doing it because there's some, there's some untrod paths in those books that uh, are absolutely worth checking out. Well, Brian, um, I know that I follow you on, uh, as part of the Bolt Action Alliance. I know that a lot of your forces that you've been talking about tonight have been posted on there. And I know that you're also a regular painting contributor uh, on the Facebook group uh, Paint All the Minis. Uh, would would that be a fair assessment of where people can find your beautiful stuff? Yeah, definitely. Um, on Facebook, yeah, if you have a look for Bolt Action Alliance, uh, there's a few of us in a group who post up our work there so you can mm-hmm. check out all the all the minis that are getting painted and the forces being built um over the years especially scroll back through 
the post from, from it's been going for quite a few years now. So there's some really great stuff early on. Oh yeah. Um, there's even a, a if you go to the photo album section of the page, there's each force has got a, a photo gallery there, mm-hmm. so you can really and we often in, sprinkle in the historical photos too, so you can like you were talking about see where things have been inspired by. Yeah. Um, and then if you go to paintallthemini.com, uh, I regularly create painting guides for World War II forces mm-hmm. that I'm getting into myself. Um, so if you go to the painting tutorial section of that website, there will be quite a few World War II guides there from, from those forces as well if you want to see how to paint them. Yeah, which is awesome. And it may if, if Brian hasn't done a painting guide for your particular army you can ask him no i'm just kidding because i know that a lot of people do sorry that was a bad joke um but what you can do is i take take requests um they take a while to do sometimes but um if it lines up with what i'm doing i'm happy to do it the joke i was gonna make there is though uh, seriously yes you can do that but i would also recommend um oftentimes there are guides that are very similar to the thing that you are looking for so Brian may have done a guide, um, several desert guides, and it may not be for the exact unit that you're looking for, but it's the same color uniform or very similar. So there are techniques and there are colors in there that you can use um, just based off of some of the guides that already exist. And just, again, think a little bit outside of the box, and you're going to get some great painting knowledge that you can use on your own forces. So check those out, guys. They are awesome. I use them all the time. Uh, Guys, we have gotten so much feedback from episodes recently. Uh, So many people have been listening because of uh, COVID quarantines and uh, changes in life. Uh, But we at the Warlord Cast want to take a second to say thank you very much for taking the time to listen. We hope that you are well in these crazy times. Um, We know that podcasts don't cost money, but for a lot of us, time is money. And you've taken the time to listen to us today. So thank you very much. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have any feedback, uh, questions, things that you'd like to request, I have gotten some great requests recently that we've been using in these short, sharp episodes. Uh, Please contact me. Um, You can find me through my personal podcast page, which is the network that this podcast is on, which is Cast Dice, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. If you go to Facebook and type that in, um, again, that's C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. If you type Cast Dice and you message that page, um, the Cast Dice podcast, there is only one guy who answers it. That's me. Uh, If you message the page, you're guaranteed a response. So uh, message us. Let us know what you think, and thank you for listening. Guys, uh, we look forward to giving you more awesomeness soon. I don't want to say what the next episode is because I'm hoping it's going to be something new, exciting, and very cool. Uh, But if not, it is going to be also new and exciting and very cool too. So regardless, you're going to love it. Have a good one, guys. Cheers, and stay safe. Good night. 